It's been described as the single biggest threat to the demolition industry. An amalgamation of academics, environmentalists, politicians, architects and the national media attempting to slow, block and even ban demolition to protect the so-called embodied carbon locked within the world's building stock. It's a campaign that is gathering traction and gaining momentum. Yet, even as the demolition sector finds itself in the crosshairs, the industry is failing to respond. It's failing to address the rising tide of anti-demolition feeling. It's failing to fully explain the key role that demolition plays in the development of infrastructure, housing and the built environment. It is failing to highlight demolition's role at the very heart of the circular economy. And it is failing to explain that the demolition industry recycles, reuses and repurposes what many perceive as a waste to provide the construction industry vital materials, recycling at a rate that puts other industries to shame. As all of this unfolds, we will monitor and chart the current and future impact of the embodied carbon lobby upon the demolition sector. We will attempt to stay abreast of the construction projects held in planning or stopped entirely due to embodied carbon concerns. And we will try to explain precisely why an increasing number of high profile and influential people believe, wrongly, that embodied carbon can only be preserved by a moratorium upon demolition. The spectre of embodied carbon first revealed itself properly in 2019 when London Mayor Sadiq Khan rejected plans to build a 305-metre-tall tower in the nation's capital. The term embodied carbon had been kicked around by scholars and environmentalists for years at that point, but the refusal to grant permission for the tower known as the Tulip thrust the term into the public consciousness. For demolition contractors, it was a taste of things to come. Sadiq Khan's rejection of the Tulip was based upon a number of factors. In a detailed report, it was said that the setting would harm views of nearby World Heritage sites, including the Tower of London, that it would stand out as different and less cohesive beside other local buildings, and that using vast quantities of reinforced concrete for its foundations and lift shaft were highly unsustainable. It was that final reason that should have set alarm bells ringing among demolition contractors, because that lack of sustainability would set the tone for what was to follow. Just three years after he kicked the tulip to the curb, Sadiq Khan would publish the two-part London Plan Guidance package. That guidance sets out how significant developments will need to report and cut down on waste and whole-life carbon to further the city's goal of reaching net-zero emissions by 2030. The guidance highlights the refurbishing of existing buildings as the most efficient strategy to achieve both of these objectives and the one to be considered before all others. The guidance also states that retention should be seen as the starting point. Most telling of all, the guidance states, Retaining existing built structures for reuse and retrofit, in part or as a whole, should be prioritised before considering substantial demolition, as this is typically the lowest carbon option. If substantial demolition is proposed, applicants will need to demonstrate that the benefits of demolition would clearly outweigh the benefits of retaining the existing building or parts of the structure. One of the first buildings to potentially fall foul of that new guidance is Marks & Spencer's flagship store on London's Oxford Street, which was originally set to be demolished and replaced with a new build scheme. After critics argued that the project would waste the embodied carbon of the existing building, and generate an additional 
39,500 tonnes of emissions. Sadiq Khan decided to review the controversial demolition through the lens of his new planning guidance. The mayor eventually said he wouldn't stop the building from being knocked down, as a preliminary carbon report undertaken by engineering firm Arup found that over its whole life cycle, the new build will actually have a lower carbon footprint than a refurbishment due to its superior operational performance. However, Housing Secretary Michael Gove has since decided to halt the demolition until the scheme can be reviewed by government. Now, before anyone suggests that this is just a London thing, or merely Sadiq Khan flexing his muscles, rest assured that this issue is not limited to the nation's capital. Faced with an application to partially demolish the 50-bedroom and more hotel in Cornwall as part of a conversion into a care home, Bude Stratton Town Council responded, There is absolutely no evidence of adequate justification for the partial demolition of the existing site. This proposal is a huge waste of sensitive design potential and embodied carbon. In Birmingham, a group including the Birmingham Modernist Society, Brutiful Birmingham and Zero Carbon Houses have counter-plans to demolish the Ringway Centre with plans of their own that would see the Ringway retained and converted. Campaigners say that the original demolition plans are based on both a misunderstanding of the centre's quality and of environmental considerations, particularly in light of Birmingham's net zero target, because of the amount of CO2 that will be released by pulling down the building, as well as the construction phase. North of the border, plans to demolish the tower blocks that make up Glasgow's Winford Estates have been declared a carbon crime. Local community groups and a leading architect have also come out in opposition to the planned demolition. Meanwhile, a heritage parliamentary group has called for a cut in VAT when retrofitting historic buildings, and a presumption against demolition in the planning process. Yet all of this is merely a precursor, a first shot across demolition bows. The UK government has committed to launching a new consultation this year to mainstream the measurement and reduction of embodied carbon in the built environment. This commitment would see new legal standards introduced around the levels of carbon emissions permitted, not only from the operation of a building, but also related use of materials and systems, as well as how they are disposed of or repurposed. Against that background, the current sprinkling of construction projects blocked over embodied carbon concerns could quickly become a deluge and this issue might become even more focused in the run-up to the next general election. Politicians have already recognised that sustainability and the environment will be a key battleground as they fight for the hearts and minds of the nation in general, and the younger generation in particular. If something has to give in the fight between what is good for the environment and what is good for the demolition sector, demolition will find itself thrown under the bus, a sacrificial lamb to appease the environmental lobby. And even as the forces gather against it, the UK demolition industry remains tight-lipped and silent, caught like a rabbit in the headlights as an embodied carbon juggernaut hurtles towards it at breakneck speed. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Demolition's Greatest Threat and that you'll join us again very soon for another. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please consider subscribing and be sure to hit the like button as it really helps our channel. And please feel free to share this with a friend or a colleague that might benefit from it as well. The more people that are aware of the gathering embodied carbon storm, the better. Until next time, 
Thanks for watching or thanks for listening. <laughs>